So, um, you guys ever feel like you could use a break, a rest? Um, we've been uh, whittling away at our wood pile, you know, getting ready for winter. And uh, some of you guys have probably been doing the same thing or something similar to it. Maybe you've been working on your garden, trying to get things uh, brought in as they're, as they're ready, um, getting things canned or frozen and processed. Um, Hunting season is is underway. Um, it's time to start looking at getting meat in the freezer. Um, so there's a, a variety of ways that we we have tasks that uh, this time of year we we kind of were busy trying to do. And um, you know the funny thing about that wood pile is, man, I don't know if you've ever if you if you burn wood or if you have ever, but. Boy, standing back and looking at a nice full wood pile, that is just so satisfying, isn't it? But the thing is, you know, by spring, it is looking pretty scarce. And um, it's kind of like making your bed, right? This was the thing that I struggled with when mom would talk to us about making our bed. It's like, yeah, but guess what? I'm going to get back in it tonight and mess it all up again. Right? It's a cycle. It's like make your bed and then mess it up and then make it again, mess it up. And there's the wood pile, you know, the wood pile grows, then it shrinks, then it grows, then it shrinks, and it doesn't grow on its own, by the way. We have a lot of things in our life that uh, there's some really, I mean, life is amazing, and God has blessed us incredibly, and, and we even find satisfaction in a lot of these things. Uh, but there's also a dynamic to life that there, it, it seems like there's this kind of laboring that just keeps going on and on and on, and we never really get a rest from it. Um, it's it just like laundry, right? I don't do laundry, by the way, but you probably guessed that. But uh, I feel for those who do, it just, it's, it's never truly caught up to where you can just stand back and go, I'm done, right? Because you know... That before you even pull that last load out of the dryer, you're going to look over and someone stuck something in your laundry basket after you already ran this load through, right? And messed it up. You didn't even get the satisfaction of looking at an empty laundry basket for like five minutes. Well, you know, there's a dynamic to the Christian life that is, is like that in a sense that 
while we are so blessed and we have the hope of Christ laid before us, we have His presence with us and dwelling us daily, moment by moment, in the Holy Spirit. And we have the fellowship of believers to encourage us and exhort us along the way. There's also an element of labor and, and struggle between here and heaven. And we feel that. Some days we feel it more than others. But it's never something that we can truly just go, I'm done. Right? I can just sit back and now just enjoy the fullness of just being God's child. There's always this side of heaven, there's a struggle component to that. And Hebrews is written to believers who are in the midst of that struggle to spur them on, to encourage them, to, to, to call them to stay in the fight and persevere and to not give up because that hope that we have of heaven, uh, of being in God's presence for eternity, it's real and it's coming. So the message throughout Hebrews is, especially this part of Hebrews is, don't be like, like the Israelites whom God saved out of Egypt and made all the way to the brink of the promised land and then failed to enter. Let us persevere and enter in to God's rest. There's a rest for the soul that um, God brings even now as we uh, walk with him. And there's a dynamic we're going to look at here in Hebrews chapter 4 where uh, in this discussion of God's rest where it's a, an already and not yet. A lot of, a lot of uh, God's promises are like that. An already and a not yet. Meaning that we already get to experience it in the here and now, but not yet in its fullness. That's still coming. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. Let's start off with just asking the Lord to direct our steps. Father, we thank you for your word. It is truth, it is alive, it is active. It is exact in the way that it reaches into our lives to discern falsehood and truth and uh, sin and holiness and to, to exhort us, to encourage us, to spur us on and to call us uh, to faith in you. And Lord, we ask that today you would do just that for us by the power of your spirit and your word that you would call us deeper into fellowship with you Uh, that we would respond to that, that our hearts would be a fertile place for the seed of your word to be sown today, that it would produce Christ-likeness in us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's let's, uh, start in on our passage here. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it, and this is a reference. Uh, there's uh, in this part of Hebrews chapter three and chapter four, um, it's hearkening back to Psalm ninety-five, where Psalm ninety-five recounts that 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 first generation of Israelites who were rescued out of Egypt, who God saved out of Egypt, that they were faithless. Um, they 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 did not trust God. They complained. They disobeyed Him. Um, they would not trust Him, no matter what God did for them. They wouldn't trust him, and because of that, they failed to enter into the promised land. Um, There were two who were faithful, Joshua and Caleb, and God allowed Joshua and Caleb then to lead 
um, his, the, the next generation of Israelites into the promised land. And so that's, that was, that's on, on the hindsight of this discussion here. And so that's why now he's saying um, that that promise of entering his rest still stands. He made that promise to them that he was going to bring them to the promised land. And, and that promise still stands. So let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So the rest, there's, you're going to see in this conversation with rest, it starts with, remember Hebrews uh, do, does this a fair amount where it takes something earthly to present heavenly reality. Okay, So later on it's going to talk about the tabernacle or the, the temple and the and priestly order and sacrifices and all of that and and it's it does so for the sake of one illuminating the illuminating the greatness of Christ and his sacrifice um, and, and his priesthood that he represents us before the father but but also to help us understand that those things God was bringing about in the Old Testament were foreshadows of greater things to come they were tastes of something greater. Um, and so the, uh, so the promised land wasn't the end. So the Israelites crossing into the promised land, the land of Canaan, it wasn't the end destination. It was a taste of something greater. And so there's a promise here being spoken about that starts kind of with the, the promised land but it ends with eternity. And so that's why he says that the promise still stands. It's a greater promise. And, and the rest, when we think about the rest that, that God gives, let's think about it from perspective of those early Israelites that were rescued out of Egypt. What, were, what, were they, what would they gain by way of rest? Because entering the promised land didn't mean that they didn't have to, like, get up and go to work every day that everything just happened like it, the land was so amazing like it just produced fruit on its own the cattle just took care of themselves the sheep shore themselves like you know that the, the, they all just took care of, you know didn't have to do anything but w- what it meant was think about their journey they were enslaved in Egypt they needed rest from that the weariness of their soul from their experience of being slaves in Egypt. Then, then they were in the desert. And they were sojourners. They didn't even have a home yet. And so there was a, a kind of a heaviness and a labor that they were involved in here. Of the soul, at the soul level that they, God was leading them to a promised land where they would be able to rest from those things. Rest from the weariness of having someone else rule over them. Um, and rest from the, the sojourning, not having a home. Well, God's rest is, is even extended to believers today. But to enter that rest, verse, verse 2, we must be united by faith with those who trusted God. Namely, in that context, it was Joshua and Caleb who trusted God. But this is also kind of a little teaser 
Because when we get to Hebrews chapter 11, there's a whole list of people that trusted God. And we need to be united by faith with them in Christ. Verse 3, for we who have believed, actually I wanted to uh, point out here in this, that that rest is entered by faith. Like there's no, there's no like backstage door to enter in to God's rest, to his kingdom. We must enter by the door, the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus Christ. And in fact, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, if you want to flip over there with me real quick. That's where we have this, the example of so many who have gone before us and trusted God. So many of those examples are, most of them are from the Old Testament. People who looked forward with, by faith to what God would do. Verse 6 of chapter 11, it says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. It is impossible to please God apart from faith in him, trusting him. All right, verse 3 says, For we who have believed enter the rest, that rest. As he said, and it quotes Psalm 95 again, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. That is God's works. Verse 4, For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. Isn't that interesting? Uh, it, Hebrews, this is one thing that just fascinates me. Hebrews starts off with a mystery. Like, who wrote it? We don't know. It just starts out with, hey, God spoke to people back then, and he's speaking now through Jesus. Right? So the author is anonymous because the true author that is pretty emphatically proclaimed here is God. And then when Scripture's quoted, it's never, it's, it's rarely with much of a reference here, although we will see David's name mentioned in connection with Psalm 95, but, uh, but who gets referred to? God, the Holy Spirit, gets referred to as being the author of, of these things. And so here, it, I, I find it interesting that it says, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. Well, that somewhere happens to be in Genesis 2, 2. And God rested on the seventh day, from all his works. And again in this passage he said. Psalm 95 again. They shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it. That is that. Um, there, that promise is still in effect. To enter into God's rest. It didn't, it didn't end when. Well, well I'm getting ahead of myself here. All right, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day. What word, church? Today. Say it again. Today. Today. Saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So, Here's what's going on. So there's this reference to David here now, and there's this quote of Psalm 95. So the promise about the Israelites entering the promised land was a long, long time before this. But yet, the Holy Spirit is communicating through Hebrews that the promise still stands of entering his rest. In other words, people can still 
uh, by faith go in to God's rest, into that promised land. Now, that's kind of an interesting thing here, which makes clear to us that he's not talking about a geography on earth. He's not talking about a defined a boundary uh, wherein you can, you can go to that place, as the Israelites did, but rather that there is a greater rest that we are being invited into. There was a greater rest that they were being invited into. And, uh, and that's why he says then that through David, the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, that's in Psalm 95, associated with entering his rest. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, his, his greater rest is available to everyone by faith, and it's intended to be responded to. Any guesses? When? Today. That rest is for people, that promise is for people today, and it's intended to be responded to today. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. In other words, if, if when God allowed that next generation of Israelites um, that, that were allowed to enter the promised land, led by Joshua, if, if that was all the rest that he was talking about, then there's no promise for us to enter that rest because it already happened and it was done. But the promise is much greater than just entering into the land of Canaan. It has to to do with God's eternal family and home where we will reside. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Now, this Sabbath rest that's being spoken of here is not, it's not talking about one day a week. Um, that's a taste, a little taste. Um, but the Sabbath rest he's talking about for the people of God is entered into by faith. In verse 10, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So how many days of creation? Six, right? Six days of creative work of God, and then on the seventh, then he rested, right? So when was God's creative work done? Day six, right? So what's what's being referred to here is that when God completed his work on day six, he was done. He was done. And and a lot just like Jesus' work at the cross to give sacrifice for us, the work was done. And it says then, the Scriptures say that He sat down then at the right hand of the Father after that. Why? Because His work is done. Jesus gets to rest from the suffering and from the labor, from the sacrifice, because it's done. The priest could never rest from that because the work was never done. The sacrifices were never enough, and there was always another one to be given because there was always more sin to atone for. And when Jesus gave his life a sacrifice for sinners, it was finished. And so God, when he created, he then rested. Jesus, when he gave sacrifice for us, then he rests from that sacrifice, from that work on our behalf. 
Now, that is not to suggest that God is doing nothing, that Jesus is doing nothing. That is not what is being implied here from the scriptures, but rather that his creative work, it ended. And here it says that for whoever entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. There is a labor that we are enduring right now, a suffering and a striving and a struggling that we do because we're on this side of heaven and we live in a broken world and we fight against our fleshly desires and there's a labor in that and a struggle in that and a suffering associated with that that we long to be rid of and there's a day coming where we will be. But this side of heaven, we will not be free from that. But there is one who will help us endure that. To carry that load for us. And we're going to get to that hope here in just a second. So verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. That word strive has to do with with a persevering work. uh, A a laboring. In fact, I think think the King James does say laboring. Or something to that effect. Um, it, It... it's, you know, strive is not a bad word here. I think of uh, later on in Hebrews chapter 12, you know, there's the, the image of running the race that's set before us, right? It is, it is running to the finish. It is, the, it is uh, you know, one of the, Paul brings up this analogy of, of, of running a race, um, that we don't just run aimlessly, it's, it, but it's running to win. Who wins? Well, one of the first requirements is you finish the race, right? That's one of the first requirements to winning the race is finishing the race. And so we're called as believers to finish the race, to not cut it short. And that's kind of the image of the Israelites who were given the promise of entering the promised land, yet because of their grumbling, their complaining, their faithlessness, um, their lack of faith in, in God, they fell short and never got to cross the finish line. And so the call is, don't be like that. Don't pull up short. Run it through. Run it through hard. Let's strive to enter that rest. Let's, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Uh, the same sort of disobedience as, as the, that faithless generation. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Um, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. There's no faking it into the kingdom of God. Um, you know, we can, we can kind of fake out each other once in a while. Um, we can put on a good face, a good front, and we can convince others that we're something that maybe we're not or that we believe something that we don't. Um, but we can't do that before God. God's word is alive and it's active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it's piercing to the division of soul and of spirit. Let the scientists wrap their head around that one. 
of joints and of marrow. And discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. God's word is exacting in the way that it takes effect in our life to to flawlessly bring to light, uh, bring a light into the, the dark corners to expose sin, to expose falsehood. And so there's no creature then, verse 13, there's no creature that's going to be hidden from his sight, but all are, na- laid, uh, all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So there's, we have to give an account of ourselves to God. And there's nothing that will remain hidden from him. Nothing. I, I mean, you do your taxes, Right? Um, sometimes things can get hidden from the IRS. I'm not saying I do that. I'm just saying it happens. Either by someone's fault or by their purpose, it happens. The IRS is not God. They might disagree. But the point is that here on earth, we can kind of, we don't have, there's none of us who have eyes like God. We are not like the Word of God in that in that everything is not laid exposed and bare, but before God we are. There is nothing hidden in us before God. Not those, not those intents, the intentions of our heart that we, we wish weren't there, then we hope others don't see. We don't, that is laid bare before God. He sees it all. Now this points also to something remarkable in all of this. So on the one hand, we have... We have a reason to be fearful, really, of God's judgment because there is nothing that we can hide from Him. And yet, on the other hand, He has seen all of that and He has sent His Son to die for you to save you so that you can be His child. Okay, how many people do you know that if they knew all the thoughts and intents of your heart would want to have anything to do with you? I mean, I'm ashamed to admit it, but I don't think I'd have many friends, right? I mean, it's just human nature. It's a battle of self-control and of the flesh and of trying to follow Christ and be loving when we have these desires that aren't loving and with these thoughts that aren't kind and we wrestle with that. All that's laid bare before God and he still says, I love you and I'm sending my son to die for you. That's love. That's a remarkable love that we have a God that is so compassionate and merciful and loving that even though every sin will be judged, he has sent his son to take that judgment for us. Which gets us to verse 14. Well, I guess I think... um, before I go there, I wanted to go to Psalm 139, 23, and 24. And um, I think I'm going to have you turn there with me, right in the middle of your Bible. Because I think when we really start to grasp what this means, that, that the Word of God exposes really all of who we are before God, I think it, it, it begins to make us have a desire that, you know, in our flesh, 
One of the ways that we deal with sin is we just try to keep other people from finding it out. And, and we might try to, to stop some bad habits, but most of our battle is just keeping others from finding out. But as a believer, when we re- start to realize what God has done in our life, the way we want to deal with sin is to have it rooted out and not present in any way, shape, or form. So that we are, as, Ma- as Matthew 5, 8 says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Our desire as a believer is, let my heart be pure. Let it be purely holy. Let me purely love and trust God. Let there be no falsehood in there. And the psalmist here gets that, I think. Psalm 139, 23 and 24. His prayer is, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me, that word grievous in the ESV is, has to do with wicked intent. Um, is there any impure motive, any sinful intent, any idols in my heart? And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That we very purely at the core of who we are, that when we're laid naked and bare before God, our soul is, that what he sees is something very pure. That that would be our heart that we would have the same kind of purity that is present in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Since, verse 14, Hebrews, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Let us hold fast our faith in Him. Let us hold fast our hope in Him. Because Jesus, who passed through the heavens and who is himself the Son of God and who now is our great high priest, which means he stands before God on our behalf, um, he has taken up our case. But here's the deal. Unlike earthly lawyers who take up your case, uh, they're fallible. Even their best ones will lose a case now and then. Jesus has never lost a case. Every case brought before the Father is a win. And Jesus stands before the Father on your behalf and on my behalf, having cleansed us with his blood for those who believe in him. And so, it says then, let us hold fast our faith, hold fast our hope, hold fast our confession in him. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Our hope is in Jesus Christ, who alone is our perfect advocate and mediator to God. And He has experiential knowledge of what your struggles are. That means that He doesn't just intellectually understand that you as a human being have struggles that you go through and things you wrestle with and hardships that you have to endure and sufferings of different kinds. He doesn't just intellectually get it. Like, yeah, I made them. I know they come with that sort of warning label. No. The Scripture's saying Jesus was here. He lived like you live. He was in flesh like you are. He endured temptation like you are enduring temptation. He suffered like you suffer. He has done it all. He has been through what you are going through. Now, I know we get into particulars like, you know, about the, nuance, about the specifics of, you know, Jesus didn't split my wood. Okay, come on. Let's, 
we just understand that Jesus, he, he identifies with what we're going through because he went through the things that you are going through. He struggled. He was faced with the temptations that you are faced with. Now, we look back at Luke chapter 4, and there's a passage there about Jesus being tempted by Satan. And we might get the wrong idea that that's the only temptation that Jesus ever had. That is not accurate. Not based on Scripture. That Jesus faced temptation there, but Jesus faced temptation through his whole earth, uh, bodily, earthly bodily experience there. Up until he, he, he uh, died and was resurrected, he experienced temptation. There was temptation to call down angels and just, you know, be rid of that suffering. There was temptation to have those who were, who were bringing suffering to him, uh, persecuting him, punishing him unjustly, to just have, have them taken care of. Right? He had the power and the authority to do that. There was, there was continual temptation for Jesus. He knows the kind of things that we have to wrestle against. And because of that, we ha- and not only that, but yet without sin. He did that all, and yet without sinning, which makes him the perfect high priest for us. The perfect one to stand before the Father on our behalf. Because he identifies with what we're going through. Because he's been there. And he did it flawlessly. And he's the son of God now who gave his life for us. And now stands before the father. That we would be seen through the lens of his blood. Having been cleansed by his blood. Received his righteousness. Having our sin taken care of at his cross. So then verse 16 says, Let us then, because of that, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know who got to approach the throne of grace before Christ? Hardly anybody. It was a throne of judgment for anybody who would approach so boldly and confidently. Because, do you remember our discussion about the tabernacle in Exodus? The Holy of Holies, the place where God's presence was made manifest? There was only one priest, one time a year, that got to go in there, and even he did it with quaking knees. Okay? So, access to the Holy of Holies was denied. And yet here... Because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, it says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. With confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Mark chapter 15, 38 says that when Jesus died, sorry, I meant to have that up there for you, but I'll, I'll read it to you here. Mark fifteen thirty-eight, And it says, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The curtain was not a decorative one. It may have have had decorative qualities to it, but the purpose of the curtain was to separate sinners from the holy and righteous God. And there was no one who could breach that curtain. It was not permitted. And when Jesus died, Remember, his work is finished at the cross. And when that work was finished at the cross, the curtain in the temple was supernaturally, divinely torn in two from top to bottom. 
opening the way for everyone by faith to enter in to the Holy of Holies, to know God in a personal and intimate way. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19 and 20 says this, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone. Jesus has gone there ahead of us. We have confidence now to enter into relationship with the holy and righteous God who, apart from Christ, we would only know as our judge, but now we know as our Father, our gracious, loving Father through Jesus Christ. We're invited into the presence of God through Jesus Christ. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We are invited to draw near to God. Now apart from Christ, the name of, the name of Jesus and the reminder of God just brings the fear of, of guilt, shame, punishment. I would think of Adam and Eve in the garden. When they sinned against God, what did they do? They ran and they hid. Because all of a sudden they knew fear. Fear of God's judgment for what they had done. And that is deep within us, that fear of his judgment. And we don't always understand that that's inside of us, but it is. We're created in the image of God. And we know, something inside of us knows, that someday we're going to be judged for what we've done. And that we deserve it. And the word of God is going to lay it all bare. So that it's unavoidable, that judgment. But God sent His Son to be judged on our behalf, to receive His judgment against our sin. And because of that, we now can say, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. You may not feel worthy, but you've been made worthy by the blood of Christ. You may not feel clean, but you've been made clean by the blood of Christ. You may not feel righteous, but you've been made righteous by the blood of Christ. Wherever you come from, whatever you've done, whatever that stuff is that you don't let anybody else see and that only God knows, He forgave it and wiped it clean with the blood of Christ. So now you are invited to draw near to God clean. You have no shame. There is no shame in drawing near to God. In fact, he invites you. I mean, think, think of like Susie up here. When she invites the kids to come down, 
is does does she look like intimidating like you come down here i just might smack your hand or something right no they come because it's fun they know they realize they're being greeted by somebody who loves them and, and 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 enjoys them you've been extended a a, a more divine version of that that God is inviting you into fellowship with him as one who loves you as a child of God who has accepted you and embraced you through the blood of Christ fully. And he loves you and wants you to come in to those places where he may know you, you may know him in a personal way. And so in your struggles, this side of heaven... Let us draw near to God because what we will find there is not a smack on the hand, not a word of condemnation like, I can't believe you did that again. No, that's not what, is told, that's not what we're told we're going to find when we approach the throne of grace. It says that we're going to find mercy and grace and help. Anybody need that? Hey, we do. We all need that. My question for you is this. Have you entered that rest? And well, the rest, remember I mentioned that the rest is both now and not yet. That means there's a, a rest that we can step into now and we'll realize the fullness of it later. What is the rest that we need now? It's that rest from slavery to sin and fear of death. That toiling through our life with that nagging reminder that we are going to stand guilty before a holy and righteous God and we're going to suffer justly His judgment. That we need rest from that. We were created at the very beginning. God created Adam and Eve to be in perfect fellowship with Him without fear. And we've been walking around largely, humanity's been walking around with fear. We weren't made for that. We were made for fellowship with God. We weren't made to walk in fear. We need rest from that. Have you entered into that rest by faith in God's Son, Jesus Christ? Have you given your life to Him? Have you handed over your guilt and shame to the one who went to the cross on your behalf? Have you called out to him to say, Jesus, save me. Forgive me of my sins. Teach me a new way. Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Read that to you once I get there. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Hear are the words of Jesus. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And Jesus is talking about that laboring of the soul that just exhausts us. He's not talking about your daily work, your chores. Jesus is not going to show up at your house and go, yeah, I'll do that load of laundry. Right? There's work to be done still this side of heaven for sure. 
But the rest that we need is a rest of the soul. That toiling, that trying to escape the judgment and guilt and the shame, the weight of that. Take my yoke upon you, he says, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you have not given your life to Christ and received that rest of, your, of the soul, my encouragement to you is to turn away from sin and the life you've been living and turn to Christ to receive Him by faith today and enter into that rest. You know, we're told in Hebrews chapter 7 there that that reminder, that quote from, uh, from Psalm 95 today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Do not turn your back on God's offer and invitation for you to enter into His rest. Today is the day of salvation, the Scriptures tell us. Today, this moment, this is the moment that you have. None of us know if a next moment is coming. We're not guaranteed that. And I don't say this to be alarmist, just reality. Now is the time to step into the kingdom of God by faith in Christ, not tomorrow. And for believers, hold fast to your faith and your hope in Christ. He sees your struggles. He sees your temptations. He sees your sufferings. He sees the hardships of this life. And he knows them well because he's been through it. And he will not fail you. You, as you approach the throne of grace, as you draw near to him, you're going to find mercy and grace and help. I'm not saying it's not hard. It's not going to make the hard stuff go away but you're going to find one who will help you through it so that you can finish the race. You ever see one of those clips from a race where, like, you know, there's a couple of guys just battling it out, and one guy gets an injury and falls short, and then the other guy, instead of just breezing across the finish line, stops and helps him? That's the body of Christ. And God's working in us to help us finish well. When we approach the throne of grace and when we do that together, when we have each other's backs and we know that God has ours, Jesus is going to help us finish the race, a race we can't finish on our own. He will make sure that we don't fall short, but we must go to him for mercy and grace and help in our time of need. So stay in the fight, church. You do good from my perspective. I don't have the eyes of God, but from my perspective, you do good. And I want to encourage you to keep persevering, to keep drawing near to the throne of grace, to keep seeking his help, and to keep investing in one another to help each other out. Let's pray. Well, guys, um, you know, there are many ways that we can create some habits in our life to help us draw near to God, but I think a really good place to start, look, he, your whole life is laid bare before his eyes. There's nothing hidden. 
So go to him in prayer and be unhidden. He's, he's, he's not, there's no sleight of hand. Your flowery language of prayer or something doesn't like make him see something that's not there or not see something that is there. Go to him as you are and know that when you do, you're going to find mercy and grace to help you in your time of need. In fact, I want us to, uh, would you join with me here in, uh, we're going to, we're going to say some of these verses from Hebrews 4 together. And may the Lord f- cause them to find their way into our heart. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11. I think we might have it up here. Why don't you join me? Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Do we have more? Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Amen, church. Brothers Barton, will you send us out?